So we're going to read the whole of the Upper Room Discourse, John chapters 14, 15 and 16. Um, The sermon itself is built basically on one verse, John chapter 14, verse 29. But um, I want us to hear the whole of the Upper Room Discourse as one thing. Now, I realise many of you as Christians have read or heard this passage many times. I want you to try and conduct a mental exercise then for me. Imagine that this is the first time you've heard it that this is the Lord Jesus speaking directly in your presence, directly to you. You haven't heard it before. You're letting these words wash over you. That's what I want you to think about. And I want you to um, think about, I guess, the strongest impression that it's making on you. If you're there in a time of upset and turmoil, if you're there in a time of trouble and um, you hear this extended teaching conversation because occasionally the disciples will interject a question. Imagine that this is the first time you've heard it and then we'll come back and we'll concentrate in on one particular aspect of it. It's such concentrated teaching here in the Upper Room Discourse that usually when we look at it, we look at it one little piece at a time. Some of our favourite sayings of the Lord Jesus are found in this discourse. You end up I think when I, when I um, preached through it, when we did the Gospel of John a few years back, it might have been 25 or 30 sermons that came from these three chapters. Um, here it is one thing. Here it is one flowing conversation, the Lord speaking to his people. So before I read it all, let's pray and then we'll get into it. Our Father in heaven, where your people here now sit under the reading of your word, We, your people, seek to understand your word. We ask that you indeed would be in the teaching, that you would be in the preaching. And, Father, may our hearts be made ready and humble to hear what it is that you have to say to us, your people. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 13. I'm sorry, John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son." If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you, li- that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I do not say these things to you from I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the father on your behalf, 
For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And there we'll finish our reading of the word for today. Amen. May God bless it to us. I'd ask you just to turn back to John chapter 14. Look at verse 29, John chapter 14, verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. And now I have told you before it takes place. The upper room discourse was given to the disciples in a time of turmoil, at least for the disciples themselves. Jesus had been telling them crucifixion was coming. Jesus himself was telling them that he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles, unjustly tried in a, in a farcical court where he was to be found guilty. Whether or not he was innocent, whether or not he had ever done anything wrong, that was not the question. He was to be found guilty. He was to be handed over to executioners. He was to be put to death in the most cruel and shameful way that could possibly be imagined. The disciples themselves, now, once again, you need to sort of conduct the mental exercise of getting there and understanding what's happening. We've got the benefit of all of Scripture. If you're a Christian, you, you have this firm faith in your heart that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he reigns at the right hand of God the Father, that he has basically planted his church upon the earth and that the church continues to grow, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But to, to understand what's happening here, you need to get back to where the disciples were. They were called by Jesus to become his disciples. Twelve of them had been appointed to be apostles. One of them was a traitor. He had already let that be known. They believed that he was the son of God. They believed that he was the promised son of David. They believed that he was to rule the world. They believed that he was God's almighty saviour that had been promised from, we would say, from Genesis through to Malachi. And yet at the same time, believing all these things, he's saying to them, I'm about to die. I'm about to be put to death. Things are about to go wrong. I'm about to suffer punishment that I do not deserve. And go back to the day, go back to the time. Everybody was familiar with death. You know, people died in their homes. If your mum or your dad was going to die in the natural course of things in that day, they, they would die in your presence. You know, if someone was sick, the sickness was likely to lead to death. We sort of, in our modern society, we've, as far as we possibly can, we've separated ourselves from the, from the um, brutal fact of death. People die under care. People die in hospices. People die in hospital. 
People die in nursing homes. People don't die at home with the family there seeing it all happen. These men knew what death meant. When people die, they're dead. The soul has departed from the body. Then they don't come back and start speaking to you. You know, it's a, in, in another part of the Gospels, for example, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells them that he's going to be crucified and on the third day he will raise from the dead and we're told that the disciples had a conversation with one another. What does he mean, raised from the dead? You and I, we've got all of the scriptures and we're saying, raised from the dead. Well, don't you understand? The tomb's going to be empty. The stone's going to be rolled back and you're all going to see him again. And even Thomas, with his, with his um, factual questions, I won't believe it's Jesus until I see the wounds. Even Thomas is going to be put in his place and he's going to fall to his knees and say, my God and my saviour. But they're having this conversation. What does he mean? Raised from the dead. What's that mean? How is someone raised from the dead? No one's raised from the dead. Dead is dead. They, they get put into a grave or a cave or whatever. And that's it. They're gone. What does he mean? Raised from the dead. He says he's going to die. He's going to be put to death. And then he says he's going to be raised from the dead. What's he on about? That's the mentality that the disciples are in. It's not that they're unbelieving. They're believing. But it's belief without the knowledge that you and I have the advantage of. And they don't believe that Jesus is a liar. They know that he's in some way or other telling them the truth. But they're sort of saying, what kind of truth is that? Does he literally mean what he's saying? Or does, is there some kind of hidden secondary spiritual meaning? Because remember, these disciples, they've grown up with the scriptures and they would be used to the fact that the scriptures can have differing kinds of fulfilments. I'm not saying that they're not literal fulfilments, but what I'm saying is that there's not necessarily one and one only fulfilment of the Holy Scriptures. And so they're sort of, okay, he's saying he's going to die, and it sounds like he's talking about literal death, but could he possibly be talking about literal life after the grave? That's where they are. They're believing but not having the knowledge that we have, they're questioning, how can these things be so? And remember, they've got all their hopes built up in this man, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David. And in their mind, salvation probably looks something like the Romans getting driven out of the Holy Land and the temple getting purified. In their mind, that is the cultural expectation of salvation. And yet Jesus is telling them he's going to die. And then in this offering or in this, um, I'm sorry, in this time just before the false, the arrest, the false trial and the crucifixion, he, he gives them these words. He gives them this extended teaching concerning things that were to come in the future. And obviously they remembered them. Obviously this had a massive impact. The Apostle John he remembered this stuff. You know, he, he wrote this stuff down later on. He wrote his gospel and he remembered the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling them that there are going to be built into their life as believers times of sorrow and times of rejoicing. 
He's telling them, when I'm dead, when the Romans have put me to death, when my body is finished, when my blood is spilt on the ground and my body is placed in the cave, in a tomb, you will be weeping and you will be lamenting. It will seem to you that everything you've hoped for has come to nothing. It's just dust blown away in the breeze. It's finished. It's gone. You will be weeping and you will be lamenting. He said, but then you will be rejoicing. And what I want us to think about is, could this actually be a pattern in some ways of the Christian life? Are there days of darkness in your Christian life? Do things go wrong? Are there times when your heart is broken? Are there times when there are false accusations, when people don't understand you, when someone you trust puts the knife in your back? For example, are there times when beloved ones die? Are there times when there are crises? Has someone in your family that you've spent your whole Christian life praying for, hoping that they would repent and come to faith, has that person actually died and you've got no reason to hope that they ever repented? For example, you know, do you look at the world around us and look at the world leaders around us that have power over us and are you wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are these wicked people doing as they please and yet nothing seems to happen? You know, there are people in the world exercising great power today, responsible for the death of hundreds, thousands, even more. You know, if ever there was a candidate for God actually, you know, in that proverbial way, just sending the lightning bolt from heaven and blasting them out of existence, there are plenty of them in the world today. And you sit there and you wonder how, why, what's so good about this? Why do they seem to have power over the world around about them? Why do they seem to have power over so many people? Why do they seem to have power over me? Is there darkness? Are there times when you feel like your hopes have come to nothing? Absolutely nothing. They're blown away like dust, like chaff in the wind. They're gone. There are times of weeping and there are times of lamenting. And there are times of rejoicing. There are times of intense rejoicing. There are times in the Christian life when you have so much joy, you weep with joy. You you know, you, you just cry tears of absolute joy. And there are times... In between. And it strikes me that what we need to smooth out the bumps, what we need to smooth out the bumps so that we can approach the darkness and the light, the good times and the hard times on an even keel without them, as it were, almost destroying us whenever they come. What we need is a better memory. We need a better memory. We need a better way to think. We need a better way to understand the world around about us. We're a forgetful people. 
That's the truth. We're a forgetful people. How easy is it to forget how privileged we are right here, right now? My friends, I read you three chapters of scripture. Perhaps to you that seemed like a chore. But I'm telling you that for that period of time, the God who is the creator of heaven and earth and all that is within it was speaking directly to you. You just sat under the words of the very creator of all creation. You heard God's speech. You heard the very words of God. And we even forget what a privilege that was. Don't we? And here we are. We've been worshipping God. We've been singing the praises of God. We've offered up prayers to God. And the promise of scripture is that our prayers are heard in the very throne room of heaven. We know if we're familiar with our Old Testaments, that that picture of the cloud of incense in the tabernacle, the priests throwing throwing the powder onto the fire and great clouds of incense rising up off the fire. That's a picture of our prayer in the throne room of heaven, pervading the whole place. Our prayers are heard in heaven, my friends. And we forget. Sometimes we forget outright to pray. Isn't that terrible? We've been given the gift of prayer. We've been given the indwelling Holy Spirit. We've got a great high priest in heaven who takes our prayers, as it were, and makes them perfect in the presence of God, our Father. And what do we forget? We forget to even pray. We've got a book in the Bible called the Book of Psalms, which is a book of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, prayers. There's so much we could be praying. Even when we don't have our own words, that's okay. God says, I'll give you my words and you can pray in my words. And we forget. And we need constant reminders because we forget. This, this little meal that we're going to partake of here today, what is it but a constant reminder? Do this in remembrance of me. The blood and the body. Blood shed for our sins, body broken for our sins, body whipped and beaten for our sins. Constant reminders. How God loves us. He does not want us to forget and he knows that we are prone to forget. He knows that we're prone to look at the world or to be like Peter. Remember, Peter looked at the waves. The Lord Jesus is right there in front of him walking on water. Peter looks at the water. What happened when he looked at the water? He's looking at the Lord Jesus. He's able to walk on the water with, with Jesus. Then he looks at the water. He looks at the waves. Starts to sink. And Jesus has to reach out and get hold of him. You and I, my friends, our Christian life, my friends. So easy to forget the privileges that we have. So easy to forget the eternal love of God. So easy to forget our blessed place. We've been studying the book of Genesis and we've been reading about Abraham. What a blessed man, friend of God, able to strike up a covenant relationship with God. Or should I say God enabled him to do so? God struck up a covenant, covenanted relationship with Abraham. He didn't have this much of what we've got because he saw the cross from afar. We've got the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
We've got the scriptures in front of us. We've got the eyewitness testimony that our saviour died on our behalf, that he was raised from the dead on the third day. Abraham believed that God would save. Abraham believed that God would send a saviour. Ask him about the third day and he'd say, well, not really sure what you're talking about. What's so important about the third day? Ask any Christian what's so important about the third day and they'll say, Jesus came from the tomb. The one who was dead is alive. We've got more. We've got more because our relationship is with God by the power of his Holy Spirit through Jesus, his son. The father and the son, as we read in that great long reading, have come to dwell within each of us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We need to remember things and we need to remember them for our benefit. And if you look at John chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus says, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. In the immediate context, he's speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to them just before his crucifixion. In the immediate context, we know that he's speaking to them of what is going to happen. And when it happens before their eyes, their faith is not going to be destroyed. It's actually going to be increased. That's the immediate context. But these words are recorded for our benefit, my friends. He's speaking to the disciples who were there that night. And he's speaking to all of the disciples that he would ever have throughout all of time upon this earth. These words are spoken for our benefit. There are six times in that which we just read, the the upper room discourse, that Jesus speaks of the words or the things that he has spoken. There's John chapter 14, verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. John chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. John chapter 16, verse 4. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. John chapter 16, verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see the repetition there, particularly of I have said these things, that's, that's repeated four times. I have said these things. And the word that's translated in the ESV is things that could also be words. I have said these words. I have said these things to you. I have said these words to you. And every time he says that, he also speaks of a future trial and of his help in that future trial. Let's just have a quick look. John chapter 14, verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. What's the implication? When you come into these dark times, when you come into these times of trouble, when you see me falsely trialed, crucified and put in the grave, your faith will be tested. 
But I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. If they remember his words, if they remember his promise, they will know that light comes after darkness. That in the jaws of what appears to be absolutely certain crushing defeat, God will have the victory. Every time Jesus speaks of these words, these things that he has spoken, there's this, I have spoken it now in the future, remembering what I have said to you, you will be strengthened. John chapter 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you. Remember what the Lord has said. I've told you now what's going to happen before it happens. I want you to overcome the troubles and I'm giving my joy to you. How do we retain the joy of the Lord? By pondering the things that he has said to us. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John chapter 16 verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. What would the world want to see more than anything of any Christian? What would the world want to see more than anything of anyone raised under the word of God? What does the world want to see? Faithless apostasy. They want to see us fall away. They want to see us deny our saviour. All right. If, if, if you want to be accepted by the world... Drop a line like, well, I used to go to church and I used to believe all this stuff, but now I've become educated and it's out the window with me. I'm smart. I understand it all. You'll make friends instantly. People will like you instantly. People will call you into their little group instantly. Come and have a drink with us, mate. No problem. Come and spend your time with us, mate. If you're saying stuff like that, we'll accept anything you've got to say from that point on. It's the ticket in. I used to believe, I used to think that stuff was true, but now my eyes have been opened. The Lord Jesus said, I've given you these words. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. There's, there's obviously some kind of duty there for you and I, by the way. Keep these words turning over in our minds. Keep coming back to the word of God. Keep training ourselves in the scriptures, keep feeding ourselves with the promises of God. You're going to get fed today. It's a little bit of bread. It's a little bit of wine. You're being fed by God's Holy Spirit upon the gospel. That's what the meal's all about. Do these things in remembrance of me. And not only are we doing them in remembrance of the Lord, but when we do them, we're proclaiming something. Till he comes again. Okay, we have this meal in the presence of the Lord. We have it with him, as it were, here by his Holy Spirit, waiting for the day when we have it in his presence. What a feast it will be. Clothed in white raiment, clothed in the Lord's own righteousness. This time it's visible. You know, you look, we all look at each other and you wonder, you know, pretty normal looking person. Pretty average looking guy, pretty average looking girl. I don't see anything special about them. Well, at that feast in heaven, at that feast that we first have in the presence of the Lord Jesus, you'll look around and you'll go, oh, wow. 
Oh, wow. He, she, and there's only he and she, but he, she is clothed in Jesus. He, she looks as much like Jesus, the uncreated one, as it is possible for a created one to look like Jesus. Do I belong here? And then maybe we'll look down and go, oh, I'm wearing the same clothes. Oh, wow. I'm here at the wedding feast and I've got the wedding clothes and I didn't even get them for myself. They've been given to me by God. Oh, wow. (laughs) I belong. I belong. And I'm no longer going to need these constant reminders because here I am for all eternity in the face of the world. In the presence of the Lord, gazing upon the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all the reminder I'm ever going to need for all eternity. I'm one of God's people. I'm in God's family. I dine at God's table. I'm in God's household. Clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like all these other wonderful people here. Oh, wow. What a future we have. Reminders, remembrances. My friends, we're not to fall away. We're to turn back into the scriptures. We're to turn back into the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. John chapter 16, 4. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. You feel like you don't fit in the world? Don't belong? Got no place here? You're a stranger, you're a visitor. Whenever you do a Christian thing, it seems like all the world hates you. Didn't the Lord Jesus say that the world will hate us because first it hated him? And if we're in him, the hatred is, that is directed at him will be directed toward us. You're not supposed to fit in. If you're comfortable here, there's a problem, my friends. If this is all you want, there's a problem. There really is. We're looking for a city that was not made by human hands. We're looking for the city that is pictured to us in the book of Revelation as descending from heaven, where the streets are gold, and even though they're gold, they're see-through. How do you have a gold see-through street? I don't know. But that's the picture you're given in the book of Revelation. This world... I'm not saying there aren't good things in this world and I'm not saying that God does not bless our life in this world, that there are things that we can enjoy in this world. Of course there are. He loves us even now. Life is not total misery, but even at the same time, you should not feel like you belong here. I'm just passing through. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Sometimes we sing that one. We should not feel like this is our permanent home. And you see what we're doing when we try to improve our circumstance. And everyone, I guess, would be trying to improve their circumstance. Building a home, landscaping a lawn, starting up a garden, whatever it might be. What we're doing, you see, is we know that there was a Garden of Eden and we know that God told the man and the woman in the garden to go out into all the world, expand the garden and take dominion over the earth. And what we're trying to do, whether we understand it consciously or not, as we try to improve our circumstance upon the earth, we're still trying to fulfil the command. And that is not a bad thing. 
We're trying to take dominion over that which God has given us. We're trying to make that which God has given us a little bit like the garden, if possibly we can do it. Not because we want it to be permanently our home, but because it's the instinct that God built into us. It's the way God made his image. God's image is to reflect the glory of God. And so we want the very places that we live to be places where the glory of God belongs. It can't belong there perfectly. None of us are perfect. But through salvation, through the righteousness that is the gift of God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through that which Christ does for us, at least in a little way, it can be a place that's fitting for God. It can be a temple to the living God. Our homes can be the home of God, as it were, just as our hearts are. Remember, we're we're indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, each individually and as a church, corporately, and the church all over the world. There's no longer a temple made of stone in Jerusalem. The temple is the living hearts of God's people. The presence of God is in the hearts of God's people. And so we try to make the places that we live fitting and suited to the presence of God. I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Notice how every one of these I have said, it speaks of something that Jesus has done. And it's got this relevance to the future. If we just remember If we make certain that we remember, if we keep turning our hearts and our eyes, as it were, back to Jesus, well, the valleys don't seem quite as deep and the high places don't seem quite as dangerous and we're less likely to turn to foolishness. The way of the Lord is straight and narrow. The way of the Lord is straight and narrow. It's it's for the people of God to walk along the way towards eternal life. You have eternal life, you are given eternal life and in your heart should be this desire to get to the place where you live eternal life. The place that is ultimately suited and along the way we're making changes as best we can. We're making things to be a habitation of God as best we can, each according to our calling. John chapter 16, verse 25, I have said these things. There's that phrase again, I have said these things. I have said, it's in in the perfect tense. That basically means that it's always applicable. I have said it and it continues to be applicable. At some point in your life, you heard it and you can apply it from that time onward, constantly, always. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. What would be the figures of speech? Well, for example, the Lord Jesus said, I am the true vine. I think, you know, he's not a grapevine. You know, he's Jesus, the son of David, the seed of the woman. It's a figure of speech. That implies that we are to ponder the word of God. Some things are plain and clear and obvious. Some things require deeper study to get a good grip on them and to come to understand them. When you read something in the scripture that you feel that there is more to it than you understand, what you do is you stop and you pray and you ponder it. You might keep reading after that and then come back to it. You might then consult with other people. You might consult a commentary or whatever. 
You might start trying to look for cross-references if you've got a Bible that shows cross-references to see if someone's quoting someone from somewhere else in the Scriptures. And that might cast light on your understanding of what has been said to you. You ponder these things. Figures of speech are to be thought about. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, what did he mean? What was he speaking of? He didn't come from a baker's oven, that's for sure. But if you go back and you think about the Exodus and you think about the people of Israel wandering through the desert, what did they get every day? They got manna. They got bread from heaven. And it kept them alive in the desert. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what's he saying to his people? Turn to me every day. I'll keep you alive in the wilderness. Do not fear. I am the bread of life. I will keep you alive. I preserve you. I care for you. I, I watch over you. If you stray, I draw you back. I am your all-sufficient saviour. I will accomplish my purposes. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay, there's a lot there, isn't there? I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. My friends, where does our peace come from? It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from pondering his words. It comes from pondering his promises. The world can be troubled all around about us. Our peace comes from the Lord Jesus Church history is filled with the testimony of Christians singing psalms even as the fires licked at their feet. Men being put to death and saying straight back to those who are killing them, you might kill me, but you will never kill the gospel that I believe. Our peace comes from the Lord Jesus. But consider that the Lord Jesus felt the need to speak to us of peace being found in him, what's the clear implication of what he's saying? Well, he spells it out for us, but I want us to think about it. It only makes sense. If he says, in him you will have peace, if you ponder his words, you will have peace, he then says, in the world you will have tribulation. Troubles, tribulation. Look at the world we live in. Look at the last couple of years. Crazy government overreach, crazy government policies, half of which made absolutely no sense whatsoever. In the world, you will have tribulation. But in Christ, we have peace. So I'm asking you now, where do you think you live? Where's your place? If your first answer is an address, 14 Smith Street, Well, that, I'm afraid, is an address in the world. That's some place in the world. If I ask you what is your work, what is your purpose, what is your vocation? And if you give me an answer, I am a shop assistant, I am a truck driver, I am a carpenter. Well, once again, my friends, that is in the world. They're all good jobs, by the way. I'm not knocking anyone having a job and working and earning their living. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. But those are things that are in the world. And if you are identifying yourself by the things of the world, 
Well, then, my friends, you are thinking like someone who is in the world. Okay, we we have to approach life with a Christian worldview shaped by the word of God. And whenever we're asked as a Christian, where are you? What do you do? Well, your first thought, even if perhaps you don't answer it in this way, but your first thought should always be, I am in Christ and what I do is I live in obedience to the commandments of Christ. And then in that, you might be a doctor. In that, you might be a carpenter. In that, you might be whatever. Your location should be in the presence of God. In your own heart and in your own mind, you should be in Christ. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever is happening around about you, whatever happens to you, in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you will have peace. And so part of our job as Christians, part of our life as Christians is to actually consciously, through the studying of the word of God, through the studying of the words of Jesus, through seeking to understand these things, is to actually consciously make ourselves live in Christ. Think in Christ. Let the Christian worldview dictate our thoughts. Our citizenship is where? In heaven, where Christ is. We are in Christ. If we remember that we are in him, if we remember the words that he has spoken to us, if we remember his promises, we will have peace. Irregardless of what goes on around us. The peace that the world cannot understand, the peace that the world cannot take away, the peace that is unshaken. Godly spiritual peace. And we'll be the calm in the eye of the storm, no matter what is happening. And that in itself is a testimony to the world around about us. Jesus spoke these words to us in the upper room discourse. And they are to be pondered and they are to be remembered. And it's to be expected that in our lives, there will always come times when different Different parts of what he has said will be needed. They'll be necessary. They'll find their application. They'll be fulfilled in our lives. They'll be suited to the times in which we live. We should not be a forgetful people. We need to exercise ourselves in the word of God. We forget the blessings that we have. We forget God's grace that he pours out upon us. And so we get reminded again and again and again. We get reminded that there has been one sacrifice for sins. There is only one sacrifice that washes away sins. The blood of animals could not do it. But the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a completely different thing. That is cleansing. That is cleansing in the sight of God. And when God says you are cleansed, my friends, you are cleansed. And let nobody, let nobody make you doubt it. Keep coming back to the promises of the Lord Jesus. There may be dark days. 
There may be days when the body goes into the tomb and you wonder if everything's come to nothing. But the promise of the Lord is that there will be light and that you'll understand and see his resurrection glory. And you'll remember that he is your Lord and your God and your Saviour. Don't let yourselves forget. Partake of the reminders. If you're in Christ, partake of the reminders. The Lord himself is present. We're to discern his presence as we partake. The stuff's not magic. All right? It's not magic. No one's doing magic here as we pass out the elements and the emblems. They're bread. They're wine. But it's real. It's true. Christ is truly here amongst us. What are we going to sing? Think about it. We're going to sing amidst us, amidst us our beloved stands and bids us view his pierced hands, points to the wounded feet and side, blessed emblems of the crucified. Thomas, remember doubting Thomas. I won't believe he's come out of the grave unless I see the scars, unless I see the wounds in his hands and side. My friends, amidst us, our beloved stands and says, here I am, look upon me. I am your salvation and the price that I paid has secured eternal life for you. Remember, my friends, be reminded. We can't hear these things too often. We need to hear these things again and again. God speaks to us. God speaks to us from his holy scriptures. God speaks to us through Jesus, our Lord. God speaks to us through the communion meal. And he keeps preaching the gospel. And he keeps telling us and reminding us that we are his people. Walk in his ways. Walk in obedience to his will. Let not the world knock you off the course. Be faithful. Be obedient. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in his goodness and in his mercy. Let's close in prayer. Now, Father in heaven, I pray that we are not a forgetful people, but a people who are always remembering. And I thank you and I praise you for the many reminders that you have built into this Christian life. Lord, let us ponder deeply the words. Help us, Father, to remember the things that you have spoken to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to be faithful and obedient no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens in the world. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.